So welcome. Here we are in part seven in our series through the book of Song of Solomon. So you can see this morning we're talking about the arts of courtship part two. Specifically, we're talking about ten principles on how to have a great courtship. Now, the Song of Solomon, that book, is about one couple, okay? It's about the man, Solomon, and the woman, the Shulamite. And in the book, there are eight chapters. There are eight romantic scenes. And Solomon, he wrote the book after he was married. And he's looking back on his relationship. And he's telling us the different stages of their relationship. And scene number one was all about their attraction. We studied that. Scene number two was all about their dating life. We studied that. And then scene number three is all about their courtship. And right now, we're studying that. Courtship, you remember, comes after dating, but before marriage. Courtship includes that moment of engagement. Courtship is that time you begin to date that one person exclusively. The whole point of courtship is you're trying to figure out, should I marry this guy or gal? Courtship ends in a formal engagement or a definitive breakup of the relationship. It's you get married or it's back to the meat market, okay? That's what the deal is. A good courtship, it can be exciting, fun, wonderful. A bad courtship, one that's conducted poorly, can leave a person feeling hurt, injured, bitter, angry, frustrated, even depressed. And what God wants is that God wants courtship to be a wonderful season in the development of every single romantic relationship. Now Solomon and the Shulamite, they show us how to have a great courtship. Ten principles emerge from our passage about how to have a great courtship, and we see this in Solomon and the Shulamite's example. Now last, last Sunday, we studied the first five principles uh, in chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. So let me give you a brief review of that. How do you know if this is someone you're dating, you were attracted to them, you're dating them, now you're courting them to figure out, should I marry them? And these are the principles that should be happening in your dating, courting life to figure out if you should propose to this person or accept the proposal. Here's the review. First principle, have a great courtship. A great courtship includes discernment. You have a thorough understanding of your partner's character. That is, you, you're properly vetting them. You're getting to know their character. Because what you see is what you get. You can't marry them and expect them to change in marriage. No, you've got to do your homework and make sure you get to know their character. Second, a great courtship includes duration. You consistently get, a, get along. There's not an off and on and off and on. No, there's this consistency in a great courtship that leads to a great marriage. Three, a great courtship includes desire. You passionately desire to be with the other person. Time does not dwindle. Time kindles a relationship that's meant to be. Four, great courtship includes discussion. You enjoy talking and listening to one another. The last thing you want to do is marry someone who you don't enjoy talking and listening to. Courtship is the time to figure that out. Number five, a great courtship includes discovery. You enjoy doing things to get together. In other words, you discover as you're courting, we have so much in common. This is awesome. Now, in this session, we're going to look at five more characteristics of a great courtship. Principle 6 to 10. In chapter 2, verse 15, through chapter 3, verse 5. Number 6 is this. 
A great courtship includes disclosure. Now, disclosure means bearing your soul. It means showing your cards. It means revealing your true feelings. So courtship is the time, watch this, to become vulnerable with this person. You disclose your heart. You hand your heart to that person that you're courting. And disclosure is typically what transitions you from dating into courtship. You know you're courting when you are disclosing that inner person of your own life. Now let me kind of explain and illustrate. It's usually at this point where the girl begins to wonder about the guy. Um, Guys, if you've been dating a girl for a few months, the girl's thinking some things. Am I right, ladies? You've got to speak up and tell her how you feel. But so often the girl is left wondering, what in the world is this guy thinking? What is he feeling? What is the status about our relationship? Am I right, ladies? So after Tracy and I dated for a while, there was this day in our relationship, it was actually at my parents' house on Crow Canyon Road, where I disclosed to Tracy my heart. I didn't do this in dating, but in courting, this is what you do. And I said something, I looked her right in the eye, and it was really a serious moment. And later on, Tracy said, I thought you were breaking up with me in that moment. It was so serious, but I said something like, Tracy, I'm really attracted to you. I totally enjoy getting to know you. I highly respect you. You're the kind of girl that I could see myself falling in love with and eventually marrying. I'm wondering uh, if you're good with me continuing to date you. I want you to know, I may not be your kind of guy, and if I'm not your kind of guy, I totally understand. And Tracy said, yes, let's continue dating. Our relationship went from dating into like courting. We talked about like, this is serious. That is necessary for courtship. Now let me give you a principle. Always give the girl a way out. I think at this point it'd be so difficult to be a woman. I mean, girls don't like to say, buzz off, jerk, you know, I I mean to a guy. I mean, how does a woman graciously, graciously say she doesn't, you know, like you? I think as men, give your date an easy way to say this just isn't working out. I mean, be honest with each other. If you don't see the relationship going anyplace, just say, Hey, you're a great guy, you're a great gal, but it's just not going to work out. It might hurt a little bit, it probably will, but at least he or she has been honest and has spared you a lot of grief and heartache in the future. Let me give you another principle. In courtship, you have to disclose your heart, your true feelings. With that in mind, I want you to see how Solomon describes the Shulamite. Chapter 2, verse 14. He says this, My dove in the clefts of the rock in the hiding places, on the mountainside. Look what he says. Show me your face. Underline that if you want to. Let me hear your voice. Underline that. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Solomon is describing the Shulamite as this innocent dove in the cleft of a rock, in this safe hiding place. Remember, this is Hebrew poetry. He's describing where she is in their relationship. And she's up on this mountainside, backwards secure, like a dove. And Solomon is saying, Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Solomon is saying, disclose your true feelings to me. Solomon thought that he knew her in dating, but guess what? He really didn't. 
and she's slowly coming out. She's starting to show herself. Guys, let me just say this. Uh, a, to a dove in the cleft of a rock, there is no, nothing more frightening than a man's hand coming at that dove. And this girl is back there, and, and, and she's a little bit insecure. Slowly but surely she's coming out, but she's scared. She's vulnerable, and this is how it is in courtship. You think you know each other as you were dating, but you find out you really don't. And then you start going deeper and it involves disclosure and discovery. And that's what takes place in courtship. You disclose, they discover. They disclose, you discover. That's what happens. It's an art. How do you disclose and discover? Well, let me give you a very key principle that you've got to get to in courtship, and it's this. Talk honestly about what you used to be like. You've got to come to this point and have this discussion. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. I mean, you don't want to surprise your mate later in life. You don't want them saying one day, I never knew you were a Chippendale dancer. Are you serious? You, like, did that? Uh, you don't want that. You see, she can take an imperfect man, but she can't take a deceiver. I have to tell you, there have been moments in marriage counseling, I'll have a couple come to me, and she or he will share, they told me this now, and they never said it earlier. And that was unfair, and they are hurts. Every person has skeletons in their closet. Courtship is a time to reveal your skeletons to the person you're courting and disclose what you used to be like. Ladies, some of these guys are going to surprise you. Some of these guys have been molested as boys. Some have been hurt so deeply, they've not wept for maybe years. And they will weep in your presence. You'll have some of these guys, no matter how godly they appear, they've been through several, multiple women. Guys, you might think that girl is this pristine pure, but she may tell you some things that will amaze you. Some girls have been hurt so deeply that when a man puts his hand out, she will instinctively want to go back to that safe place, in that cleft in the rock. But when she tells you in courtship, and she should, how she's been hurt, what she's been through, the immorality, the abuse, you're going to want to take that girl and hold her so close and so deeply and call her sweetie and tell her that she's never going to be hurt again. You want to tell her that she can trust you and that you're going to treat her with such kindness and dignity and love and gentleness. And in the same way, you ladies, you're going to look at him and wrap your arms around him and you're going to say, you're going to find all your needs satisfied in me. You're never going to be hurt again. You're never going to be defiled again. You say, what if I tell them and they can't forgive me? Then you turn and you run. This is what courtship is about. If they can't forgive you, do not marry that person. Because if they can't forgive you for what you may have done to another, what's going to happen one day when you're married and you do something to them? And then you've got a real problem. Don't ever marry an unforgiving person. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you. How did Jesus forgive us? Totally. Only a marry, marry a person who, who possesses a forgiving spirit. You're not going to know if they have that spirit 
unless you disclose everything. Courtship is the time to have that really deep talk. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle. Would you underline that? Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. No wrinkle, that means something hidden. When you and I forgive like Christ forgives, there's no wrinkle there's no stain any longer. God takes it all away. God forgives and forgets. We are called to forgive and do our best to forget. The Bible says this, 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers over a multitude of sins. That's the kind of person you want to marry. Someone who loves you so much, it covers, that love covers your sin. It, I love Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Is this the character of the person you are dating and courting? You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities in the depth of the sea. A great, watch this, courtship involves total disclosure and then total forgiveness. You show your dirty laundry one time. You disclose what you were like one time, then you never bring it up again. Why? Because God doesn't bring it up again. There are some things that only you, your mate, the offended person, and God will know. And it stays there. And you never fish it up again and talk about it. A great courtship involves disclosure, talking honestly about what used to be like. If you want to be one with your husband and wife, you've got to have this discussion before you're married. So on your, mar on your wedding night, it's one. I mean, not just sexually. In every single regard. Tracy and I had this discussion with one another. We forgave one another before we were married. This is part of courtship. A great courtship includes, includes disclosure, talking honestly about what you used to be like. Seventh principle of a great courtship. A great courtship includes dedication. You say dedication to what? What? To resolving problems. Now, this is so practical but so important. A key sign of a great courtship is this. You face problems together, you identify problems together, and you resolve problems together. Now watch this, if you're courting a person, you're dating them, but then you take it to the next level in courting, and you're facing problem after problem that you can't even identify, you don't even know what your problems are, you're just fighting, you're overwhelmed, and you're not resolving these problems, put on the brakes in that relationship. The problems with problems is not the problem. Everybody faces problems. Your marriage is going to face problems. John 16, in this world, you'll have trouble. The question is, are you as a couple able to resolve problems when you're courting? If not, don't get married. Courtship should be a time to ask yourself and evaluate. Are we facing problems, identifying problems, mutually re resolving problems? That is essential for a romantic relationship in marriage. Look what the book of Song of Solomon says in chapter 2, verse 15. Catch for us the foxes, 
The little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. Now watch this. You say, what's that all about? One of the worst problems you could have in Solomon's day was, watch this, a fox in your vineyard. I'm talking about a literal fox. That fox would get in there and he would eat the blossoms. And that means that you would never get a bud, you would never get a grape, your vineyard would never come to maturity. You would never enjoy, watch this, the purpose of that vineyard because of that little fox. At some point, watch this, in your courtship, you're going to get upset with one another. You're going to have a little fight. Because in every relationship, there are these little foxes that come in and want to prevent it from maturing. They want to prevent that vineyard from blossoming. To prevent you from experiencing joy and oneness in your relationship. And these little foxes, they have all sorts of names and looks and... We don't have time to go into them all, but I want to give you a couple. Two foxes that want to eat up your relationship. First of all is unresolved conflict. There's nothing wrong with conflict. Every couple faces conflict. The problem is unresolved conflict. You have a fight over something, and watch this, it goes unresolved. That's a problem. So the question is this. Can you resolve conflict when it arises? You've got to evaluate your relationship on that basis. Another way to put it, are you able to fight fairly in a way that leads to resolution as you are courting that person? If all you do is fight, 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 and there's no resolution, whoa, Nelly, put on the brakes. Unresolved conflict, watch this, turns into all sorts of unhealthy emotions that I see as a pastor all the time Unfortunately, in marriages, anger, bitterness, resentment, demoralization, rejection, anxiety, a hardened heart, depression, and typically it leads to divorce. This is so important that you are realizing as you're dating and courting the person, we can resolve conflict. Ephesians 4.26 says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Translation, do not... Live with lingering anger. Do not marry a person who has lingering anger and is unable to resolve conflict. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. If this person that you're dating, courting, you see a root of bitterness there, I mean, wow. That is a sign for you. You're evaluating, should I marry this person? Now, every individual is going to deal with conflict differently, usually based on how they were raised. You say, how do you discover how that person deals with conflict? Well, you've got to discover that, and then you have to ask yourself, can I live with that? Can I live with their style of conflict resolution? Because everyone has a different style. People respond to conflict differently. Some people, it's denial. You say, honey, we need to talk about this issue. And they say, what issue? There's no issue. You're imagining things again. Do you want a marriage like that? There are other people, it's apathy. You want to talk about the problem? He grabs the remote. Is that the kind of marriage you want? You've got to evaluate what is their style right now as I'm dating them, as I'm courting them. Then there's explosion. You bring up the issue, and he says, you're just like your mother. Nag, 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 nag. Leave me alone. Is that what you want? You've got to see that 
in courtship. Remember, dating is shallow. Courtship is deep. You're evaluating this person. Should I marry this person? Are they going to make not just a decent spouse, not just a good spouse, a great spouse? That's what you want. This is about God's best for romantic relationships. Those who can mutually resolve conflict, they listen to one another. They identify the problem. They understand the problem. They talk through it. They pray through it. They come up with a resolution mutually. My point here is not to talk about all the different conflict resolution methods. We're actually going to do that later. We're going to spend two sessions talking to married couples because we see it absolutely active in Solomon and the Shulamite after they're married. But my point here, the bottom line is this. Can you resolve conflict or problems together? It's, it's a simple question. In courtship, you've got to evaluate. Can we do that? A great courtship is where you encounter problems, identify them, and solve them. Here's a principle. A great courtship is where you have no unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict in marriage. Watch it. It's just not a problem. It is a cancer. A cancer. Tracy and I, hey, we experience conflict from time to time, but watch this. In 31 years of marriage, we have no and never have had unresolved conflict. That is a completely different animal. And in courtship, you do not want to have unresolved conflict that's lingering. You've got to evaluate it. If that's going on and you're courting someone, my encouragement, you've got to learn some skills, get some counseling, work through that, or say no. <laughs> Sorry. This is just not going to work out. Tracy and I refuse to let that little fox come into our courtship and into our marriage. Bottom line, a great courtship is characterized by the ability to mutually resolve conflict. The second fox that will want to eat up your relationship, and every couple in courtship, you're going to face this little fox. This little fox wants to get into your vineyard is premarital sex. And all through the Song of Solomon, the woman refers to her body as a vineyard. You remember this? Remember back in chapter 1, verse 6, she said, my own vineyard I have neglected. She's speaking about her body. If you don't deal with the little fox, watch this, of premarital sex, your vineyard is going to struggle, being this fruit-bearing environment that God wants you to experience in marriage. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. You know, sex sin is one of the few sins in the Bible that is against your own body. That is, it is destructive to your own vineyard, your own God-ordained experience that he wants you to have in the blessedness of marriage. It damages you. One person wrote this. This is fascinating. He said, if I were an atheist, I would tell you about three things to have peace. This person isn't even a Christian. Number one, never borrow money. I've never seen a peaceful person who is heavily in debt. Number two, never be unforgiving. I have never met an unforgiving person who is happy, never in my life. Number three, never have premarital sex. It is the worst thing you can do for your future marriage unless there is stopping and repentance. This is what a non-Christian says. Chapter 2, verse 15, look what is said. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that would ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. 
You're going well. You're dating. You're courting. Your vineyard is like in bloom. You've got to protect it. A wonderful truth, I love this, is that God can and does restore us, even our vineyard, if we come to God in repentance, if you have not protected that area. Joel chapter 2, verse 25 and 26 says, I will restore to you. Isn't that beautiful? Would you underline, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. Some of us feel that way. God can restore, but it, it requires repentance. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. You can have a satisfying marriage. And praise the name of the Lord our God who has dealt wondrously with you. The principle is this. You want, watch this, your wedding night to be awesome. Tracy and I, we, tra we chased away that little fox. We didn't have sex with each other until we got married on our wedding night. We let that vineyard grow and grow and grow. And our wedding night was absolutely awesome. Do you want me to tell you about it? <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Okay, turn off the DVD right now if you're wanting. No, I'm just joking. So guess where we spent our first night? I had no idea where it was going to be. We get married here at the church, and we have our car. All I know is we're going to get out of Castro Valley. We made it to Newark. There's a Marriott there. We went in the first time ever I got in a hotel room. I'm like, this is for my wife and I. Paid cash for it. We had dinner there. And then we're in the elevator, going up. And I'm like, whoo. I carry her through the threshold. She goes in to the bathroom and gets into what she gets into, which was basically <laughs> nothing. And it was unbelievable. It was so awesome. I'm like, God, your way is so great. It was so great. This is going to sound really weird. You need to understand, Larry Bold is like my best friend. He was my best man in the wedding. And Tracy was so embarrassed. But I mean, we're just sitting there, and it's like we're in the vineyard. We're loving it. I called Larry up. I go, Larry, I go, this is so great. <laughs> Tracy's like, I can't believe you're doing that. I'm like, Larry, this is awesome. I just want you to know that. Thanks, bro, for being my best man. Click. You do it, God. You do everything to do it God's way. And if you haven't, repent because guess what? Your wedding night and your we haven't even begun to talk about sex. You did can't wow. You want that. And it is for you. There's a vineyard awaiting you. The world's way is so cheap. Don't listen to the world. Listen to God. His way is awesome. So a great courtship includes dedication to what? resolving conflict, and chasing away that fox of premarital sex. And if it's gotten in, just repent and find that restoration. Disclosure, dedication, number eight, a great courtship includes dependency. By dependency, I mean this. Oneness in your relationship is increasing. Now, notice in their courtship how she describes their relationship. Chapter 2, verse 16, my lover is mine and I am his. What a beautiful thing to say as they're courting. Can you say that when you're courting this guy or gal? My lover is mine and I am his. She's saying, we are becoming one. We belong to one another. 
We're trusting one another, relying on one another, depending on one another. I belong to him, he belongs to me. See, this is God's plan for courtship, certainly for marriage, but even courtship. You're becoming more and more and more and more as one. This is what marriage is. Two people becoming one. You should in courtship becoming more and more one. Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, they will become one flesh. Now sexual oneness, that happens in marriage. But spiritual, emotional, intellectual oneness, that ought to be happening in courtship. And courtship is the time to evaluate, is this happening? Here's a statement. In courtship, time should yield more and more oneness. Is it? What you want in marriage, we've been married 31 years. Every year, there's more oneness. Every month, there's more oneness. This is God's plan. It never ends. Look what she, uh, in chapter 2, verse 16. He browses among the lilies. She is saying, he is becoming more and more and more at home in my life. It's becoming more natural, more fun to be around each other, more comfortable to be with him and me with him. We are becoming and growing in oneness and dependency on one another. In courtship, you should be evaluating, is this happening? Courtship and marriage have been described as two rivers coming together. Have you ever seen a place where two rivers come together? At first, there's tons of turbulence. But then as time goes on as you're courting, there should be more of a smoothness, a oneness in your relationship. If that's not happening, you've got to evaluate. I mean, Solomon, this is giving us wisdom to evaluate. Should I marry this person? A great courtship includes dependency. Oneness in your relationship is increasing, not decreasing. So great courtship involves disclosure. You talk about your past. I mean, deeply. Forgive each other. It includes dedication to resolving conflict, staying committed to not letting that little fox of premarital sex come in. A great short courtship includes dependency. Oneness is increasing. Number nine, a great courtship includes declaration. Now, by declaration, I mean significant others declare their blessing and approval on the relationship. This is so important. I want you to see how this unfolds. Now, to understand these verses that we're going to read in a second, I need to give you a little background. Uh, the woman here, the Shulamite, she is absolutely hot for Solomon. She's been swept off her feet. I mean, you think about this woman. She's working in the vineyards, meets Solomon, and then Solomon, he's attracted to her physically and spiritually. He dates her by affirming her, treating her with utmost respect. He's not even kissed her yet in the book. And she feels like the Rose of Sharon. She feels like she is his singular queen. This is what should happen in dating. This is how a woman should feel in courtship. Solomon has courted her with discernment and duration and desire and discussion and discovery and disclosure and dedication and dependency, and now she can hardly control herself. She wants to give herself to him sexually. And guys, just note this. When you treat a girl this way, notice how she's going to respond. The scene is at nights. She is at home in her house in Shunem, where I'm going to take you. When we go to Israel, you'll see where she lived, where she grew up, and, she, and this is recorded. She's in her house, she's on her bed, and she's thinking, 
She's dreaming about this guy. Can you imagine, girls, some guy treats you this way, hopefully your guy, you are dreaming about him, you're thinking about him, and this is her imagination and then action. She says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn my lover and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. All night long on my bed, I look for the one my heart loves. She's tossing and turning. I looked for him, but I couldn't find him. Where are you? She's grabbing the pillow. I wish this was you, Solomon. All this, you know? I will get up, she says, and now go about the city. She's like, I'm getting out. I'm going to go find my man. And she goes through the streets and the squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So she looked for him, but she didn't find him. The watchmen around the city, the watch post at the gate, found me as, I made, as they made their rounds in the city. And she says, have you seen the one my heart loves? Everyone knows Solomon. Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. Solomon's making his rounds. Somehow they get connected. And she says, I held him and would not let him go till, watch this, I had brought him to my mother's house to the room of the one who conceived me. Wow. What is going on here? Why did she do this? Watch this. Not to have sex. Because the wedding is the very next scene, and sex follows, and we will study that in detail. Believe me, you'll know when they're having sex. This is an obscure statement, but what, but what she's saying here, most scholars believe she wanted, watch this, her mother's blessings. She's living at her mother's house in Shunem, and she wants the person she most loves and admires to absolutely bless their relationship. She wanted her mother to give a declarative statement. Yes, I agree, this is the man for you. You are the one for him. You have my blessing. What a wise woman. You know, Proverbs 20, verse 18 says this. Make plans or get married, that's a plan, by seeking advice. Never get married, never propose alone apart from the advice of others. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Many advisors make victory sure. Many advisors, watch this, make for a great wedding and a great marriage. It's wise to get the blessing that your relationships with the one you are courting, you get the blessing of those that love you and know you. Significant individuals in your life give you the blessing. Let me ask you a question. If you're courting, why wouldn't you seek the blessing of those who love you? Are you afraid of what they might say? Then what is that saying about the person you're courting? What is that saying about what your future is going to be like 20, 30, 40 years to that person you're thinking about marrying? Do the people that you love and love you see something in your relationship that concerns them? And are you afraid to get their blessing? Let me tell you, it's better to get the advice of people you respect now during your courtship than later when you're married and it's about counseling with regard to issues. What do I do now that I'm in this? So before I asked Tracy to marry me, I asked my parents' blessing, my dad and my mom who are here. I asked Larry, my best friend's blessing. I asked all of my friends' blessing. I wanted that. I asked ministry pastors and people that serve with me their blessing. And then I took a trip to New Hampshire. And before I proposed to Tracy, I asked Tracy's dad 
Mr. Jim Todd in the flesh for permission, for the blessing to marry his daughter. And he said this, please take her. No, he didn't. He He didn't say that. You may say I'm old school, but I don't think so. I think I'm biblical school. I think it's just wise to get that. Plus, you want all these people coming to your wedding celebrating that you actually included them in this most beautiful wedding that you're going to have. So I, I really, I, I believe I see with the Shulamite, you should ask significant others for a declarative statement of approval and blessing on your relationship. I wanted everyone to bless our relationship before I asked Tracy to marry me. After I received that blessing, then came the moment for, guess what, that engagement. So I had the ring, went to San Francisco, bought that ring, had it in my pocket for weeks, and I'm just going, when's the day? Tracy, I mean, we'd cocked about, you know, getting married in general, and we're growing in all this, all these things. I'm like, check, 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 she's making them all. All these things, 10 principles we're looking at. So I remember taking a shower. I'm sweating in the shower. I should be getting cool. I'm sweating in the shower, going, I'm going to ask this girl to marry me. This is incredible. I love her. Everyone said it's great, but you're still crazy nervous. When you do it right, it's so good to be crazy nervous. It's so great to have this beautiful moment of, wow. So took her to San Francisco to a really nice restaurant. I could barely eat. I'm going, I'm going to ask her the question. And then, of course, I bring her all the way to the church. We're the only ones up here. I bring her right underneath those three crosses, right in the center of those crosses. I put my arms around here like this, and this is what I said. I said, Tracy, right here, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when you invoke the Trinity, how can she say no? I said, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will you marry me? And she just thought, oh, this is just another conversation, you know, kind of the general conversation. And she goes, oh, yes, of course, Mark, you know. And, and you know, we just kind of, and I'm like, and I'm hugging her, and I'm shaking, and I'm like, this is kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> and then I back up, and I look at her, and I'm just like, this is not like Tracy. So I dig into my pocket, and I pull out the ring. And she sees the ring, and her eyes are like, she goes, you mean this is happening now? And she starts going crazy. And so this is my advice to you guys. Whatever words you decide to use, show her the ring because the bling speaks. She went nuts, and we had this great moment, and we went out and told all our friends about, you know, we're getting married and all that. Hey, a great courtship includes others declaring their blessing over your relationship. Let me give you the tenth and final quality of a great courtship. I'm going to spend one minute on this because we've already mentioned it many times, but it's talked about here, so we mention it. A great courtship includes discipline. You say discipline regarding what? The discipline to not have sex with the one you're courting. I mean, the little fox is wanting to get in there, but you push that away until you're married. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That's saying there's a time, and believe me, that time we're going to study, but not right now. Here, you know, before you're married. Uh, here's a statement. Your wedding and future sex life is worth the wait. It is. Next session, we're going to see how, watch this, their patience is going to be rewarded 
with an incredible wedding, an unbelievable honeymoon, and a spectacular sex life. Wow. You don't want to miss that. Let me wrap things up with this thought. God's plan for romantic relationships, it's always these stages. Attraction, dating, courtship. How do you know if you should marry that person you're attracted to, you're dating, and now you're courting? Dating is shallow. Courtship is deep. Exclusive. One person. You want to take, you want to vet them. You want to study them with these 10 areas of criteria that we've given to you. These 10 principles are a checklist, if you will. If you're a parent and you want to encourage your son or daughter in their courting, just take them to this message and say, are these 10 things, 10 things you are experiencing in your relationship with so-and-so? Have you vetted them according to these 10 areas? If you are here and, or you're listening or watching and you're single, I want God's best for you. God wants God's best for you. And what we see in Solomon and the Shulamite is they courted deeply. They evaluated each other in these 10 areas. So let, let's just review the five that we studied today. Number and we, the first is it. A great courtship involves disclosure. You talk honestly about what you used to be like. Can you say, check, yep, we've done that. We've had that very deep conversation. I am 100% uh, believing that I understand everything about his life and her life in the past. Awesome. Two, a great courtship includes dedication. You have mutual commitment to deal with the problems of unresolved conflict and premarital sex. Do you believe that is happening in your courtship? Check, awesome. A great courtship includes dependency. You show that oneness in your relationship is increasing the longer you are together. You're courting and it's just going higher and higher and deeper and deeper your oneness. Next, a great courtship includes declaration. You have significant others bless your relationship. Everyone's blessing our relationship because they see it for what it is. Blessed of God, of God. Wow. Lastly, a great courtship includes discipline. You fight to stay sexually pure before your wedding. Do you see that in her? Do you see that in him? And if you blow it, there's forgiveness and repentance. Are you fighting? Are you fighting? Are you fighting? If you're not fighting before you're married, I really fear what's going to happen in your marriage after. Because that is where so many, if you can't show yourself dedicated to that person before you're married, what kind of assurance do you have that you're going to be dedicated to them after you're married? Wow. That is something to deeply think about. So if you're married, let me just talk to you if you're married. We haven't even really talked to married couples yet. We begin talking to married couples our next session and for the rest of the series. But if you're married, I want to encourage you to apply these courtship principles to your marriage because they'll fire up your romance. In marriage, you never stop dating, you never stop courting. Except, guess what, in marriage, you can have sex. And you should. We'll talk about that more later. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the special season of courtship for all romantic relationships. Thank you for the example of Solomon and the Shulamite. I pray that these principles will be an encouragement to help couples Experience a great courtship toward an amazing romantic marriage. I pray that you give wisdom and discernment to each one as they think about these total of ten principles to integrate into their dating and courting life, to go deeper and deeper and to have that assurance that this is the person I should marry.
I pray also, Lord, that you would encourage married couples as well. Because as these principles are functioning, they ignite romance in our marriages also. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. All right. Okay, we got a couple minutes. I want you to talk about a couple discussion questions at your table. Number one, if you are single, which of the five principles is easiest to apply? Which is most challenging? Number two, if you're married, the principles for having a great courtship are also principles for having a romantic marriage. Which principle do you most need to apply? Take a moment, talk about those two questions. And then I got some important announcements to make, and you'll be dismissed. Okay, guys, thank you for enduring the heat. I pray that we will never have a Sunday like this again where it's this hot. I hope you can stay cool. I really do.